All right, Jenna. Good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. You always have that moment, right, in sound and it's like, oh no, did they forget to, it's totally on me. So I just have to, today's about truth. So this is like, I'm, yeah, we're going to do that well. Hey, speaking of truth and also some more housekeeping items, um, we received one of these cards. Paula mentioned it earlier. It's a connection card. See back in front of you. And there's a box on it that says, I made Jesus Christ my savior today, which is huge, right? That's, thank you for clapping. This is a big deal. This is what it's all. One deal, though, is we can't read it. Like, we tried every combination of, like, letters and numbers, and it just keeps getting sent back to us. So, like, if you sent this in, and if you became a Christian last week at church, and you haven't heard from us, and you're like, I wanted to serve, and I wanted to help out, and I have, and, and like, nothing, radio silence, we are trying desperately. We really want to connect with you that badly. Okay, so now you know why you haven't heard back. We're in a series right now that we just saw called Unstoppable. And like the idea of this series is that sometimes we mistakenly think that the church is a place that I go to on the weekends. The church is a place that I go to for religious services. Uh, and when the reality is, when we look at how the church began in the book of Acts, we see that the church isn't a place that people went to to receive religious services. No, the church is an unstoppable movement of God to bring heaven down to earth, to shine the light in the darkness, to make lost people found, to make the dead rise again in the name of Jesus. Like that's, that's the idea. That's the whole arc of this, of this message series. It's unstoppable. Today we take a look and we see how does, a, how does a movement like that, how does this thing that has been growing, this force that has been moving for 2,000 years, how in the world does it continue to grow? And the answer to that, because I just want to be as abundantly clear as I possibly can, I want to say the, the way that it grows is by telling the truth. Right? That, that, that's like the beginning, middle, and end of it. It's, it's the truth. I have to do this for another like 20 minutes or so, so we're going to like look into a little bit more of it. No, just kidding. Uh, we're going to take a look at the story about the truth. But what complicates it, what makes it so, I think, remarkably difficult is that if you're anything like me, you don't want to hear the truth. Because I know that there's seasons, there's times in my life where somebody has had to, had to call me out on stuff. And I don't like to hear it. I remember one time I had a friend who tried... Who, who, called me out and said, Dirk, I want to tell you something. It's one of those like sit down conversations where we like eyeball to eyeball deal, where you like look at each other. And he says, you have been, and this is hard to hear, you have been a lousy friend. And so I did what any good friend does in that moment, right? Is that I argued with him. And I said, no, that's not, I've been a good friend. I am a good friend to you, all right? And he said, no, let me explain. Just, you know, and we're friends and we can, we'll continue hanging out and it's good. But I just, I need to tell you something. He said, I'm, I'm always the one to call you. I'm always the one to check in with you. How have you been? I'm always the one asking you to hang out. Dirk, you don't call me. You don't ask me how I'm doing until I ask you. Dirk, you don't, you don't ask if I want to hang out. And that's fine. I don't think you mean anything by it, but I'm just letting you know that you've been a lousy friend to me. And so I'm like, no, no, that's it. Pull out your phone and you're like, oh, no, kidding. Look at that. Like you've called me every single time. In fact, the only calls out is really just I'm returning a call that you gave me. Like that, I've been a lousy friend. Like we don't want to go to those. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel comfortable to go to those like truth telling places. But when we do, I think we're better for it, right? I think something happens along those lines. You don't, you don't like to go to those truth 
telling places like I do, which is actually why we put the big sign in the lobby that says practice truth. It's just to remind us all the time to remember, don't forget, practice truth. Go to those truth telling places. We're better for it. Maybe you had somebody, right, where somebody sat you down eyeball to eyeball and said, listen, you've been a lousy friend. Or maybe it's a parenting situation where, where somebody calls you out and says, maybe it's time, to, it's time to loosen up in this area of your parenting. Or maybe it's, maybe you got to like stricken up a little bit in, in this area of parenting. Like whatever it is. Like you've had these moments, this uncomfortable truth telling kinds of moments. Now, we don't like it all the time, but I think that we're better for it. And we're going to hear the story of this movement of God called the church in the early days. And what they did and how it grew was simply little more than telling the truth. We're going to go to a place where that happens in Acts chapter 2. And this is going to get more uncomfortable before it gets better. But just kind of like stick with me here. I think we'll all be better for it. Acts chapter 2, as Paula mentioned earlier, we're, we're phone-friendly church. So if you want to look it up on your phone, that's cool. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. We've got Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home or if you like ours better, bring it with you. That's cool. Acts chapter 2 starts off and it's like super exciting. Like some of you Holy Spirit people remember that from last week. Like you're Acts 2. This is my jam. This is where I love to live. You know, we, we open it up and it starts off and we see the Holy Spirit moving. These little tongues of fire, little baby flames that like rests on each person's head and then they start speaking in other languages. It's not gibberish. It's not, it's not like an angelic language. It's, it's another worldly language that people, it's like the guys from Duck Dynasty start speaking fluent French. It's incredible when that happens, if that would ever happen. But no, no. Um, this is what these guys start speaking other languages, like all at the same time, and it amasses this big crowd. So that's the fun part of Acts chapter two. The other fun part for the other people, if you're not like Holy Spirit people, if that kind of weirds you out, then, then you have the, the ending, the ending of Acts chapter two, which ends with these followers of Jesus. They sold all of their stuff. They, they sold their homes. They sold whatever. And they, they took the money and they pooled it all at the feet of the disciples. And, and so that, so that everybody who had a need had their need met. And you're going, that's incredible. What a, that's how it changes the world. That's how. And so we have the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and the ending of Acts chapter 2 that are both inspiring and awesome, but that's not today. <laughs> Those would have been great messages for today, but today is about this, this middle part of Acts chapter 2. That in God's wisdom, how he grew the church, it was empowered by the Holy Spirit, yeah. And, and then the Holy Spirit came and, and people were changed. And so they did that other thing about laying, the selling things and meeting all these needs, yeah. But, but this change of how it grew was what happened in this awkward middle part of what we're going to call this morning, I think, the worst sermon ever preached. And as we get into it, you're going to understand why I say that. It's insensitive. It's erratic. It's all over the place. It's not hospitable to the first-time listener. I mean, it's like all of the things that you do wrong when you're starting off preaching. But yet, like God uses it anyway. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14, right after the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, and crowds gathers, thousands of people gathered around. What is going on? Are they, they've been drinking, partying? What's going on? Peter, then Peter stood up 
with the 11, he raised his voice, addressed the crowd, and he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He said, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter, that's worse, not better. Okay, you're not helping yourself out. No, no, they're not drunk as you think. Like it's, it's not, that's not what's going on here. It's something entirely different. He's about to tell the crowd now that he's got all of their attention, just what is, what's happening. But first I want to point out how unlikely it is that God would use Peter to stand up at that time, during that season. What I mean by that is Peter is the guy who like is first to fail every time. Like that's Peter, right? Um, Peter is the guy where Jesus is walking across the water and says, come on out, you can get out of the boat if you want. Peter's the guy who gets out of the boat, tries to walk on water semi-successfully. That's, that's Peter. Peter is the guy when Jesus says, they're just about to arrest me. They're just about to crucify me. Peter is the one who says, Jesus, I'm never gonna leave you I'm never going to forsake you. I am with you, even if it costs me my own life. And then a short while later, Peter is confronted by this little girl. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And it's Peter who says, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. Like he's just, no, I'm not a follower. Who? Jesus, who? No, that's not me. That's Peter. So I just think it's incredibly unlikely at this point in history for God to pick Peter to stand up and address this crowd of thousands and thousands of people. On top of that, the season that they're in at that moment is called the Festival of Weeks. It's also known as Pentecost. Now, Pentecost today is like, oh, Pentecost. Like, that's a big thing in church. But back then, like, it wasn't, right? Because this is how it became a big deal. So it's 50 days after Passover, after uh, Jesus died roughly, Pentecost came. Now, what was interesting about this is that, uh, is that Jerusalem was still full of people kind of because it's, it's like party time. Some of you, does anybody know any farmers? Just like you can raise your hand. Maybe you are a farmer. All right, both of you, sweet. That's kind of, we should get to know where our food come from. It's a good thing. But like farmers hustle harder than like anybody that I know. That's what they call it too, hustling. No, farmers just, farmers work hard. I mean, it's always like planting season, plowing season, harvest. It's always a season for something, it seems like, for farmers. And they're always out there. They're always working so incredibly. I feel so lazy talking to the farmers because usually they're like doing something while they're talking to me, right? Farmers work hard. But at this point, at this point, in this like little itty bitty slice of the week, it's this interesting time for a festival in Jerusalem because, they, because it's right immediately after barley season and right immediately before harvest or before wheat season, right? So you have this like little, little gap of time where they didn't like absolutely need to be working on something, which is really rare for farmers. I'm trying to think about like, what, what's it like for them? You know, and everybody goes to Jerusalem and they're part of this like big pilgrimage, this big feast or festival. And I'm thinking like, this is like the farmer's spring break. Like, this is their big deal. This is their time. This is their week. And everybody converges in this, in this city of Jerusalem, and they're on their spring break. And they're living it up like people do on spring break. Okay, you're tracking with me, right? But it's at this moment with thousands of people gathered around, where the city is just massively full, and a guy like Peter, that God shows up, and he is just about to change some lives. 
And before we get into that, I just want to like point out how awesome I think it is that God shows up through a guy like Peter at a time like spring break. Because I think we see here is so far in this story, a God that meets us where we are. We're going to have a few points. That's the first one, that God meets us where we are. And that's so, that's so incredibly, that's so inspiring. I love the idea of God using somebody like Peter because I see myself and all of us a lot like Peter. I think that's so awesome that God shows up even that he can show up at a time like spring break. Only the downside of a God who shows up and meets us where we are is that he shows up and meets us where we are, right? I mean, you think about spring break you kind of like remember back or maybe you're looking forward and you're in church right now. And so the context is all different. And you're like, I don't know if I totally like want a God who meets me where I am on spring break because I'd much rather much be more comfortable with a God that I can take and like tuck into the back of my back pocket. And I can take that God out when I need God, particularly on the weekends or when I'm in trouble, maybe something happened on spring break. I don't know. But, but like I want a God that I can, I can put away and who's not just going to show up on on spring break. I want a God that, that I can like tuck away when I don't need him, pull him out when I do need him. I want a God that I, that, that I can go into that business, into that conference room and do some business, get it done. And I don't need God like whispering in my ear telling me that the deal isn't really what I said that it was. I'm not totally representing the facts super well. I want to take God and I just want to like tuck him in my back pocket and say, listen, let me just get this thing done and then I can pull you out again. But God says, no, 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 that's not how I work. It's awesome and it's terrifying to have a God who shows up and meets us where we are. I want to pray to God and ask God, help me to get a date this weekend. I don't want a God who shows up on that day and starts reminding me about how a Christian should or should not conduct themselves. I want a God that I can talk away, but we have a God who shows up right where we are and uses the Peters among us, the people who doubted, the people who were skeptical, the people who failed to preach this message. God shows up to us, meets us right where we are. And then in his grace, doesn't leave us there. But let me show you what this looks like from the story. We go down to verse 36 in Acts 2, and this is the, some of the content of the message. And he says, therefore... Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, pause, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Listen, wait, hang on. He's talking to the crowd. He's got thousands of people gathered around who are now first time guests interested in this message of Jesus. It was 50 days before that he died. It was not a long time ago. Remember, the gospels tell us that there was an, there was an earthquake, is that darkness came over the land for a while. The Roman centurion, the Roman guard looked at this and says, I don't know what's what, but surely this man, I'm paraphrasing, was the son of God. Like they remember that moment and now Peter stands up when he's got all these new people's attention, all these guests' attention, and he says, by the way, this Jesus you crucified. And I don't know like a ton about the story, but, or the setting or who was there and who wasn't there. But I, but I think I have a hunch on a, on a couple things that are true. And the first one is that there were people in that crowd that day that did crucify Jesus. 
because it was only about a month and a half ago. And these are the kind of people that are gathered around and we're looking at the kind of numbers, these thousands of people that are gathered around listening to this. There was probably somebody in the crowd at that moment who was also in the crowd a month and a half ago shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now they didn't necessarily drive the, the spikes into the hands and feet of Jesus, but they were, they were part of it. They did it. They shouted that. They, they moved the crowd to get Jesus crucified. There was probably some people in the crowd in Peter's time that he was preaching to that did, in fact, have Jesus crucified. But I'm going to say the vast majority had no part in it whatsoever. And so I'm looking at Peter and I'm going, what do you mean? What do you mean? This Jesus whom you crucified, you can't say that to thousands of people. They didn't have him crucified. But you know, for Peter, it was, for, for Peter, it wasn't necessarily, maybe you didn't nail the, the nails into his hands and into his feet. But, but for Peter, speaking into that, there was an element of truth there that says in a global sense, that turned personal sense, he can look at a crowd of thousands of people just as if I can look at a crowd today and look at myself in the mirror and say, Dirk, you are the reason Jesus was crucified. Because in a sense, my sin, my guilt, my shame, my fears, everything that Jesus came to overcome, my death even, was the reason why Jesus came from heaven to earth in the first place. And now Jesus paying for that, Peter can look at my heart and say, right there, Dirk, right there, you were the reason. You were the reason why he had to die. You had Jesus crucified. And I look at my sin life, Right, where I look at like the places, the specific places where I know I don't measure up, where I know I make mistakes. And I look at it still and I'm like, yeah, but nothing really there warrants the death of God on my behalf. Right? Like if it did, I would probably be, be locked up already and serving out that prison sentence, but that didn't happen. And, and, so, and so I'm like, it was little things like here or there, but, but I mean, nothing really was that big of a deal. Maybe you I read in Romans, it's that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Greek word for all is still all, like all of us. We're a level playing field. doesn't matter if you're a good church kid who grow up in this whole thing or if you stumble in here high from the night before. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're like this level playing field. We've all fallen, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. But I look at this and I'm like, I'm not, I'm still, I'm, I'm still like, I'm better though, right? I'm, I'm clean enough. I grew up in church. Like I got, I know the right things. I believe the right things. Somehow like I'm supposed to be, and Peter here is convicting me and he's saying, no, no, you're still the reason. See, the reason is, is that the timing of the holiday, I think, is kind of significant for the Jewish culture. Uh, it, it, I said it was the festival of weeks. It's, it's in between time, the spring break, like I said, for, for farmers. That specific festival, the main thing that it was celebrating at the moment was the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments to the people of God in the desert of Sinai soon after they, they got out of Egypt in the wilderness and they came before the mountain. Moses went up, he came down with the law of God. It's a funny thing to celebrate Let's get that out in the open. My kids love their birthdays and they love Christmas because there's presents, right? They're like, yes, this is awesome. They don't have, my kids don't have a holiday set apart to the giving of the rules of the Van Eyck household. You see what I'm saying? But the people back then did. They had this holiday that celebrated those things because in their minds, it was like, this is how much God cares. 
He cares enough to show us how to live. He cares about us enough to show us when we, when we participate in self-destructive behavior. He cares enough about us to get, to get us to stop hurting ourselves or to keep us from hurting ourselves. That's how much God cares. And so I look at that. This is how deep I'm in right now. You can read your own story in that and say those 10 commandments that they were celebrating at that moment, the very first one is that you shall have no other gods before me. Like the, the first commandment is that God comes first. Now, I don't even make it very, very many through the list before I look at this. And like, I, if I look back at my 20s, would I say that other, somebody else would describe Dirk's life as Jesus first and foremost? Like before anything else, Jesus was on top and then everything else came in because, because in Dirk's life, in his 20s, he had no other gods before him. Friends, I'm honest. I don't even think God cracked the top three of the main things that I was concerned with, right? And so at that moment, what I'm doing right now, what we're doing right now, if you could maybe say the same thing about your 20s or your 30s or your 60s or whatever stage that you're in, what you're doing at that moment is you're not like micro-targeting these little areas of sin to say, well, like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't have said that or like replay a conversation in your mind of like, I could have loved my neighbor a little bit more, so maybe that was sin. And I'm looking at it and go, this is not like, like micro-targeting sin. This is like scorched earth a whole decade, a whole decade of my life. I was living in this place of dishonoring God all the time with my whole being, everything I did, everything I said, because God wasn't on top. Like, do you realize how huge that is? I mean, we're just talking about me, and then you multiply that out by, by thousands of people like Peter was doing, and he's like, listen, that's the reason. That's the reason why Jesus had to come. That's the reason I can say, this Jesus, by the way, whom you crucified, that was Lord, that was the Messiah you killed, or you were the reason God died. It was for you. It was for me. And he does that, not, not to just remind me how bad I am as if I need another reminder. But he says, all of that, all of that, that shame that you carry, like, like all of it gets, gets shoved, get, gets pushed into this, this closet. It's, it's like you, you live in a certain way. The video we said, the hypocrite, liar, sinner, addict, like whatever, whatever label, like we take it and we don't want anybody to know about it and we shove it in that closet. And Jesus here, he says, I, I see it and, I, and it stinks and I smell it. Right? And you try to hide it and try to seal it up that much more. But Jesus goes, I get that. And so I'm going to show up in a way in your closet where you never wanted me to show up. And at the same time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you enough not to just allow this to continue. I'm going to open this thing up and we're going to clean this out together. We're going to pull whatever secrets are in there, whatever skeletons are in there, whatever you're, you're trying to like hide away. It's stinking and it's filling up the house and we're going we're gonna to renovate this thing together. We're going to clean, clean this thing up together. 
And then we're gonna go over, we're gonna open up some windows on this balmy winter day, this spring day, and we're gonna get a cross breeze growing through here. And so we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna freshen up this whole thing. Jesus makes this, Peter is making this point to all of us to show us that, friends, that life is never freer than when you have no secrets. Like he doesn't, he doesn't wanna, wanna cast this guilt, shame, fear, sin, addiction, whatever. It is. He doesn't wanna cast this on us just to make us continually feel worse for our sin. No, no, no. he's doing that because he, he wants us to like renovate this thing. He wants us to, to, what the sign says out front in the lobby, to practice truth and to clean this thing out because he wants us to have freedom and you are never more free than when you have no secrets. If you walk through your day and if somebody were to jump in front of you, a colleague, a kid, a friend, and say, look what I found. And if that makes you nervous, listen, you've got a closet and it stinks and it's heavy. And Jesus says, you, you don't have to carry that thing. Let's clean that out together because you're never more free than when you have no secrets. I'm gonna show up in the places that you least want me to show up and I'm gonna love you enough not to leave you there, but this message, this message of the gospel, this message of grace that we are more broken than we ever thought and we are more loved than we could ever imagine. It demands a response. And I think that's maybe where most of us live. Even if you've agreed with everything so far, it's that response language. And so this is, this is how the people respond in verse 37, the response. When the people heard this, it says that they were, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Isn't that interesting? What should we do? It's not what should we say. It's not what should we believe. But, but he says, what should we do about now being cut to the heart? That language of being cut to the heart was like a legal sense of, of his being convicted. The spirit is, is telling me something they were saying. It's, it's testifying to me like on my inside, in my, in my heart. It's, it's reminding me something of, of what I know, but, but now I'm I, I experiencing the, the weight of that thing. Most notably, what Peter just said earlier, which is that Jesus, this man, was also God. And if this man was also a God, he sort of demands some kind of a reaction, some kind of a response. And non-response is, by the way, a response. Uh, in this interview, um, in this interview on a public news station, uh, the person was interviewing Bono. For some of you who don't know, he is the lead singer of U2. I don't know what kind of generational what we're working with here, but... Uh, they're interviewing Bono and the topic, the subject of Jesus came up, you know, and, and, uh, and they're talking about how different people, different perspectives on Jesus. And it's like how, you know, everybody loved Jesus really as a, as a political messiah, you know, get these Romans off my back. Or maybe he was just kind of like, you know, just kind of nuts. Or maybe, uh, maybe he was a prophet, 
right? And, uh, and Bono said something interesting. He goes, you know, we're so comfortable with the, the idea of a prophet, aren't we? Because a prophet is somebody like Elijah or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. It's, it's all these people that we're kind of comfortable with, right? Because we can, we can tuck them away in our back pockets and just kind of pull them out when we feel it's appropriate to pull them out. But, but Jesus, on the other hand, we can't do that with. We can't do that with Jesus because Bono says he also claimed to be God, right? And you, you kind of, like everybody's cheering him on and everybody's in his corner, you know, like look at the healing and like water to wine and he's doing this great teaching. He must be a huge prophet. And then Jesus starts talking like he's God, especially in the book of John. And then everybody all of a sudden gets really uncomfortable with that. And they're like, Jesus, hey, from a PR perspective, right? Purely just, a, can you just like tone down the PR and uh, the, the God side of things to make my job a little bit easier? And Jesus doesn't do it. He keeps doing miracles and he keeps claiming to be God. And, and, then, and then it kind of gets to the point. It's like, Jesus, if you keep claiming to be God, we're gonna have to crucify you. And he still doesn't stop. And at this point, they're kind of, as Bono says, they're just looking at their shoelaces because it's like, this is embarrassing. I mean, I, we had this great guy over here, except for he's claiming to be God and he, we're gonna have to take his life for this sort of thing. You can't do that in this culture. And so Bono says, like, listen, like it or not, this guy, we all agree, changed the course of human history. And the odds, the odds of a, of a nutcase, his words, you know, just like a, a charlatan, a fake, a nutcase, being the one who changed the course of human history for Bono, he goes, that seems a little far-fetched to me. I don't have the faith to believe in that. But if he was who he says he was, I mean, now we're on to something. And if he said who he if he was who he said that he was, that, that demand, that message demands a response somehow, one way or another. The Puritans used to say, these preachers from hundreds of years ago in the U.S., they, these Puritans used to say that this, it's a cool quote. So if you're going to write something down in the little message book in the back, like I think this is a good one. It isn't mine. Um, but the Puritans used to say that the same sun, such a cool image, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. What's your response to hearing the gospel of the message? Is it, is it to have your, your heart melted, being open to being cut like, like it was for those people? Or, or is it, to, or is it to, to harden up, to circle the wagons, to, to resist? And non-response is a response. I mean, I want to look at this and be like, friends, God, guys, like, listen, the implications of this is so big because do you realize it's possible for me to stand up here on the weekends? It's possible for you to, you to come to church every single weekend, day in and day out, week in and week out, and hear this message of Christ crucified for our sins and forgiven in non-response is a response. So it's possible that you get these little like, bite-sized, little fun size. I don't know why they call them that. You know, they're the little ones. These little bite-sized messages of the gospel and you hear just enough of it to start feeling better about your eternity, but never quite the full thing, but never quite enough to actually change it. And we like, look at that. Right? And say the, the gospel, it demands 
a response. And if that's you, if you live an unchanged life, we can just look at that and say it's possible then that this preaching of the gospel, the reading that you've done, the community, whatever it is, without a response, it's like the sun, not, not, not melting the icy heart, but now hardening the clay. It demands a response. I want to look at it and say, guys, we, we need to have a response here. We need something, some kind of response. We're going to get to their response in just a minute. But for us, like 21st century encounter church right here, right now, what's our response? I think one thing is like starting point desk on the way in the back because, because you can't do life alone. We need community. We're kicking off all these groups. Let's get into community. Let's practice some truth. Let's do some life together. If you find yourself going like, I don't live for anyone except for, except for myself. I don't serve in my church. I don't serve in my community. We've got strategic partners. The food pantry just up the road always needs help. Like, like, what are we doing? What's our response to that hope of the gospel? And if there isn't one, that also is a response. But their response, I love their response in verse 38. Peter replied, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. I love that. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And those, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people repented. Simply means changed changed their minds and were baptized, added to the number that day. Now, what they didn't do, friends, what they didn't do is live perfect lives. What they didn't do in, is look back on that era of their life and say, finally, for the first time ever, I put God above everything and I, and I lived perfectly the rest of my life and I, and I did it. That's not what they did. What they did do that day is make a conscious decision, one that many of you are going to make today or throughout this series, and you're gonna tell yourself and tell your loved ones and tell your friends and tell your roommate that today you decided to put Jesus in charge of your life. That the argument from now on is not going to be between Jesus and I to see who gets our ways, but you're gonna say, you know what, God? I'm ready for you to be in charge. I'm ready to say it's your way, not my way. I'm ready to surrender the reins of my life and say, you are in charge of my life. You are in charge of my finances. You are in charge of my career. You are in charge of my relationship. Jesus, it's not my way any longer. I am going to spend the remainder of my time and my days just figuring out what in the world you want from me. If that's what your response is, Friends, it's time to change. Change your mind. Repent is what that word. It's time to change your mind the way that God's mind goes in your life. It's time to change your mind and it's time to get baptized. At the end of this series, the conclusion of this series, February 18, my dream, my vision is to have this giant basin of water. And what we're going to do is everybody throughout this series that makes that conscious decision is going to come forward. And we're going to experience this new life that Jesus talks about. We're going to experience that fresh water going in and washing away all the junk, washing away all the, all the secrets, washing away everything that's locked away and that now 
stinks. And we're gonna, we're gonna go down under the water. And so take all of the junk and all of the stink under the water and leave it there. And then raise up to new life in Christ. Raise up as this new creation. Raise up as a changed mind, not as a perfect person, but as a person loved perfectly in the name of Jesus. That's what we're doing February 18. Today, though, we're gonna have a prayer team member stand right here. And we wanna receive you in open arms. We wanna receive you coming forward and saying, like this message of the hope of the gospel, this is for you. This is for you and your family and for all of those, all of you who are far off. You wanna know how the movement grows? It is not because this is an influential group of people. They were, they were carpenters and fishermen and farmers. The movement doesn't grow because they took up swords and spears and conquered lands. For hundreds of years, they had no influence. They never raised a spear or a sword. The movement didn't grow because it made the followers affluent, wealthy, rich, but it did just the opposite. It demanded their lives. The movement grew because people looked in their closets and they realized, I don't want to live in fear and in shame and in guilt and in sin anymore. I want help to clean that out. And as help spread, that movement of God to bring heaven down to earth was unstoppable by telling the truth. Let's stand up. Let's pray to that unstoppable God before us this morning. 